0: Thank you. To another episode of the Eagles Water Cooler. I'm joined tonight by Matt. How we doing, Chris? Doing well, man. Doing well. Glad we could get together for the pod. Glad to have you on. We did miss you last week. Wish it was to talk about a win, but unfortunately, the Eagles drop another,
1: another uh, close loss to a good team. Uh, you know, started off, uh, started off struggling early on like uh, many of the last few games and uh, came back hot in the end,
0: but too little, too late. Well said. And I think, you know, in some ways you could make an argument that the Eagles are not injury wise, certainly, but as a team sort of trending in the right direction after a really rough start um, and overcoming really heavy uh, sort of underdog lines, both against the Steelers and uh, the Ravens this past weekend and really giving both teams a, a close game. Um, and I think kind of rounding into form, and I think kind of at the at the helm of that is Carson Wentz, who we'll get to in a second, but the Eagles drop it uh, at home 30-28 uh, to 28 to the Ravens, uh, who, as Matt outlined, are, are one of the elite teams in the NFL right now. Um, I think probably the, the thing that I wanted to start with most was this idea that the Eagles have struggled with slow starts since uh, they won the Super Bowl going back to 2018, uh, 2019, that in general, they're not just a bad first quarter team. They're kind of a a bad first half team. And we see such an ongoing trend of them playing from behind. And to me, it's a a core part of the reason that they've been struggling so much. I mean, the first game this year, the Eagles uh, in Washington are able to put up 17 points and get an early lead, but that wound up being all the points they got. So it's part of a bigger narrative of not really seeing the team play a complete game week in and week out. Um, But I'm not sure how you view that, Matt, if you if that's something that, you know, sticks out to you or you think it's just kind of one of those things that's characteristic of the team. Um, But to me, it's troubling because I think I see other teams get out in front and I'm I'm envious.
1: Definitely characteristic of the team um, over the past few years, Chris, but specifically this year. uh, And I think a huge reason and also uh, characteristic of the team ever Uh, the last two to three years has been injuries, specifically uh, the offensive line. Um, We only have uh, two of the remaining starters from the first game in Carson Wentz and Jason Kelsey. So Jason Kelsey has uh, four uh, backup offensive linemen around him. And so I I think as far from, as far as the offensive uh, side of the ball, that has a lot to do with the uh, slow start. It takes, you know, chemistry for those guys to uh, get into game shape and get ready. And, you know, a week of practice, getting the cadence down can only do so much. I know some of those guys have played together, but it seems like it's a revolving door on the offensive line. And, you know, that throws off Carson Wentz's cadence too. Yes, he's still holding on to the ball too long, but to keep plugging in different players every week uh, will throw off any quarterback. So I think that's another reason why we have seen such a slow start in the first quarter, in the first half, from our Philadelphia Eagles.
0: Yeah. And I think a big part of that also is, you know, we were used to seeing Doug sort of defer automatically Uh, anytime the Eagles would win a toss or, you know, we were just used to seeing the defense come out first. And this year they have had a couple of instances already where the offense comes out first and you hope to see uh, them make a play and sort of put some points up on the board early, create some momentum, create a little bit of a rhythm. And that does start with the offensive line. So we were going to start with Carson Wentz, but I like where your head's at, Matt, let's talk about who protects them. So, uh, Lane Johnson does not play in this game. Jack Driscoll gets the start. The Eagles start Jamon Brown at right guard, who was just a colossal mess Uh, all game long. Calais Campbell uh, had a complete day against him uh, with three sacks, all that came against Jamon Brown. I have to believe the Eagles this upcoming Thursday uh, will be looking to get Matt Pryor back in there or just anybody, but Jamon Brown, um, Jason Kelsey, sort of the, the stalwart, uh, the only consistent part of the uh, offensive line. Nate Herbig, who continues to play well, excuse me, got a good grade, didn't give up much in the way of pressures. And Jordan Milata, who to me is really starting to round into form. I'm almost ready to say he's kind of pushing toward uh, it's his job to lose. Even, you know, Dillard and, and uh, Jason Peters notwithstanding. So what are your thoughts on that as far as, let's just start with Milata. Um, yeah, uh, you
1: know, the, the good, my lot um, I, I agree with you. I mean, the guy is just a physical specimen. We saw it when, uh, he came in, uh, we saw his rugby highlight tape, uh, six, seven guy, uh, over 300 pounds who was just running over people on the rugby field. And, uh, we knew it was going to be a project and, you know, once in a blue moon, these projects work out. And I, I think Malata, if he can stay healthy, could be a project that's going to work out. You know, we took a, somewhat of a chance on him. I think he was a sixth or seventh round pick. So we didn't give um, much up to, uh, to get him. We, we picked him in a, a very late round, end of the draft. Uh, but I, they saw something in his sheer size and athleticism and said, hey, why not? Uh, The guy came to Philadelphia. Uh, Everything you've heard from the beginning was positive from the coaches, from his teammates, that this guy has dedicated himself to the sport. And you've seen him progress week after week, and he's settling into that spot. Uh, Now, I know that uh, Jason Peters is past his prime. (laughs) We've seen that time and time again. But I'm sure that he, he is in ear, you know, helping him along. Um, you know, uh, Peters has always uh, been described as a leader, so I don't think he would leave this young 23-year-old hanging. So having a veteran like that on your side uh, can only help. And, um, you know, I, I I think that's a great support system for the guy. Uh, if I can move on to Jack Grispell, Jack, mm-hmm. Jack played another uh, 51 snaps um, and he, he looked good again. Uh, now, he did get hurt at the end of the game. I, I think it was uh, an ankle. It seems like the ankle monster is after us this year, Chris. A lot of ankle injuries for the Philadelphia Eagles. So, um, you know, it's a short week, uh, short turnaround. Uh, we're going to have to see what. um, um Thursday brings, but both Lane and uh, Jack dealing with ankle injuries. And then uh, let's move on to the bad here. Uh, I hope uh, is it Jamon Brown? Uh, Jamon. Um, I, 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 I hope that guy never suits up in an Eagles uniform again. Um, I think I sent you some uh, Chris Canary. Oh, I may have lost you.
0: I can hear you fine.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, I, I hope that guy never uh, suits up in an Eagles uniform again. I sent you some tape uh, before the podcast here. Um, oh. He has one good block and immediately starts celebrating as the play is continuing to go on. Uh, there was a, another play where he almost sacked Carson Wentz, uh, and then a following play where – he stands straight up and gets uh, knocked five yards back off of his feet by the defensive lineman. Uh, the guy's just not good. Uh, he came from Chicago. Send him back to Chicago.
0: 100% with you. Um, you know, we had complained about Matt Pryor being bad uh, before Jamon Brown stepped in in his place. And, you know, I think people are dying to get Matt Pryor, as I mentioned before, just anybody else back. So I do think it will be Pryor who was placed on the COVID list just before the game, uh, because apparently a a friend or a family member of his had contracted COVID and um, they're just sort of taking precautions. But it's assumed that he will be back in that spot this week. And truthfully, despite, you know, his play not being stellar, the Eagles had some good outings against uh, both the Steelers and the 49ers with him at that position. So... Herbig and Mylata on the left side of the line seem to have things together. The right guard spot is a question mark. And obviously um, Brandon Brooks left a crater uh, where, you know, he would have been had he not gotten injured prior to the season. Um, But the hope is, and we'll touch on this later, as we are reviewing the Eagles Ravens game now, and we'll be previewing the Eagles Giants game coming up that Lane Johnson is expected to play on Thursday, albeit probably banged up a little bit, only at maybe 70 or, who knows, percent, uh, any, any percentage of lane that has to be better than, uh, than anybody else at the right tackle position. But as far as right guard, that'll be a place that I can assume other defenses will look to create pressure because the left side of the line is sort of rounding into form with both Mylotta and Herbig. But behind that line, uh, Carson Wentz sort of had a, um, a classic tale of two halves as he's had many times this year. Uh, comes out flat he is part of the slow starts in my opinion however uh, not to jump ahead but you know after getting sacked on the first play and then having a negative play to Miles Sanders he ropes the ball about 40 yards down the field uh, perfectly to John Hightower who drops it and really that was part of that uh, sort of momentum kill uh, that it took the Eagles until early in the second quarter, if I'm not mistaken, to get a first down, which came through a, a gadget play with Jalen Hurts. So yeah, uh, Chris, real start type offense here. <clears throat> Chris H- Hightower has to
1: with the 50 yard catch, um, which I, I hate to nitpick. Um, Was a tad underthrown if Wentz gets that ball uh, out in front of him. uh, uh, Hightower's off to the races, but who knows? Maybe he drops it like he dropped the first one. Maybe maybe Wentz was smart by underthrowing it so that he knew uh, Hightower uh, couldn't drop this ball.
0: Right. Um, But you you can't help but wonder if that ball gets caught uh, on third down early in the game with the Eagles way backed up in their own. almost to their own end zone uh, that this probably would have been a momentum changer and still probably might not have been a play that he scored on with I believe it was Marcus Peters right on him so let's keep it with Carson Wentz though Um, in the second half the guy completely puts the team on his back um, uh, without a whole lot of help albeit uh, except for Travis Fulgham who we'll get to next but I think as a as a foursome, we're texting each other during the game, just talking about Wentz looking awful, get Hurts in there, uh, just things sort of crashing into the mountain. And Carson Wentz sort of just wills himself. And then by virtue of that, his team uh, to sort of mount this Herculean comeback uh, and really plays the sort of hero ball that he's been trying to play all year and does a lot of it uh, with his legs. So to me, there was sort of a proving ground that happened in that second half where I thought, you know what, Carson is the guy. And regardless of, you know, him having inconsistencies and slow starts and inaccuracies, there's something about this guy uh, where he can go out and make things like that happen and bring what I think wound up being a 10-point spread before the game on Sunday. Uh, Some of the last lines in there uh, I think had the Baltimore Ravens at minus 10, that the Eagles were able to bring it to a two-point margin. Um, and and almost win a game that nobody gave them a shot to win. So to me, a lot of that is on Wentz. But I want to see it from both ha- both halves. I don't mean to be greedy, but I'm not sure if you're feeling that, Matt. It's great to see it in the second half, but where was it, you know, for the first for the first half of the game?
1: Yeah, Chris, I, I have here. Uh, he was 11 for 20 on, uh, with 120 yards and sacked four times. Um, he found success late during the fourth quarter. Uh, With the comeback going nine for 18, still not um, great at 50% completion rate, but 77 yards, two touchdowns, and that huge 40-yard scramble. I mean, he looked like a a man possessed, um, hitting the right side line and just, uh, you know, uh, he, he was running for his life. I think he had a stiff arm in there. It was a great run. Uh, but just going back to his, uh, run performance, you know, him in the open field, he, he can, uh, he can break loose. I still think he has wheels, but what, uh, what got me early on was he had the run option, uh, with Sanders. He decided to keep the ball and went to the left. Um, and he took on the defender. Now Carson six65 240 He's a big body. He can, uh, he can stick some uh, D-backs when he lowers the shoulder. In this case, he did not. He stood straight up. And uh, because of that, uh, he got stripped. And it was an early fumble uh, turnover that I believe led to points. Uh, at, at this uh, point in his career, um, he's a veteran. He should know either slide or lower the shoulder. He knows uh, He knows his pad level. Um, and... If, uh, if he wants to take on a defender, get the pads low, or don't take the hit and just slide and make the next play. But he had positive yards there, and he, he could have just gone down and, uh, you know, uh, kept that momentum going. But um, I, I do like when he runs the ball, uh, um, and I want him to continue to do so. Um, I also, you know, he had the, the fourth quarter uh, comeback, but I thought also in the uh, end of the first half, uh, the two-minute drill was good too, and I think that's been consistent uh, in the last few games too. Um, when when we have the ball towards the end of the first half, um, you know, he he gets uh, into that pressure situation. He tends to perform well, uh, but it's about performing over the entire first half and not the last two minutes. Chris.
0: Well, and that's that's I think a, a great point. And I, when I when I think back to Sunday, what I found myself doing is is really settling into Carson Wentz's experience. He's got um, sort of a, a shuffling offensive line that's giving him almost no protection. Uh, he's got very few weapons, and the couple that he has that are usually reliable, one of which being Zach Hurts, hasn't been what he's usually been. Um, so he's running for his life and trying to get the ball to. Players who you know uh, either don't have a reputation or their reputation so far is not great. Uh, so it's it's one of those things where you give him a lot of credit for sort of the things he's been able to achieve despite or in spite of all the challenges that are just kind of facing the roster and the injury situation.
1: Yeah, and to add to that, Chris, uh, you know he he's doing a lot better job of going through his progressions, and at first. I thought that it was him, uh, you know, maybe being lazy or just laser locked on the guy that he wanted to throw to. But to your point, maybe it is because of all the changes and being sacked uh, for the uh, lead uh, league high 25 times. Um, you know, he just feels so much pressure on him that it's tough to go through his projections uh, that you, uh, you know, he, he is laser focused, but he did a, a, a much better j- job this uh, this game. When I was watching the tape, though, I did see a couple of times where he was locked on to the guy he was starting to, and more often than not, except for Fulgham, a, a couple times, uh, those passes were incomplete.
0: Yeah, I see the same thing. And I think that's something that uh, hopefully the coaching is is helping him to realize when they're going back and watching tape, that that's a tendency of his and the defenses, especially intelligent, well-coached defenses like Baltimore's are going to are gonna stiff that stuff out. Um, I think the other thing about Wentz that I'd like to see uh, a little bit more of is, sort of an ability to uh, really sell um, some of the fakes and things like that, to really be able to sort of utilize his runs to completely take defenses by surprise um, outside of Jalen Hurts being on the field. And we'll touch on Hurts in a minute. But in terms of sort of what does Carson Wentz have, one of the things he's got on the field is number 13, Travis Fulgham. So the guy has, uh, as I said on the last podcast, the highlight catch to seal the victory out in San Francisco, a game nobody thought the Eagles would win. He goes back uh, the following week against the Steelers in Pittsburgh and has uh, 10 targets for 152 yards and a touchdown. And then this past week, I believe he amassed 75 yards, something like six receptions, something like that, and probably could have had another touchdown on that Hill Mary uh, that seemed to get through his hands. I know there was a lot of traffic there, but uh, we debated a little bit, not so much debated, discussed on the last podcast about, you know, is he the real deal? Is this sort of a flash in the pan? I think we're seeing – a real player emerge here and it's been a while since we were sort of taken by a surprise. I think early in the year, we saw some things from Jalen Reger, who I'm really excited about uh, coming back from his injury whenever he does, but we're seeing something kind of we didn't expect to come in here. Nobody thought Travis Fulgham was going to be a storyline, let alone uh, one of the standout players who is, if he keeps up this pace on his way to a thousand yard season, which would be the first wide receiver for the Eagles to do that. Um, we believe since Jeremy Macklin, but um it made me think today, just kind of outside the box a little bit about like, who who is Travis Fulgham in relation to other receivers in the league? And I just happened to type into Google Travis Fulgham comp. And the first one that came up was an article that came out three days ago um, with input from Dan Orlovsky, who compared him to the great number 11, Larry Fitzgerald. So I personally, I'm not sure I quite see that. I see Fulgham Uh, and I mentioned this to Matt before the pod is being almost a young Alshon Jeffrey with a little bit more uh, wiggle to him a little bit more speed but now that I'm thinking about it he's he's sort of crafty in a kind of way and I find he gets open even if he doesn't have all the separation he's still able to go up and make plays and to me that reminds me not in body type or even really style but just that that tendency to sort of be crafty in his routes and and create separation and win when he's got to, to like an Allen Robinson type uh, where, you know, he's got this sort of taller build. He can get open where he needs to. Obviously Fulgham is a little bit more built, I think, than Allen Robinson, who's a little more slight, but I don't know if you have a a comp in just watching him, Matt, but I do, I think about young Alshon Jeffrey, maybe with a little bit more, a little bit more juice.
1: Yeah, just want to touch base on the uh, thousand yard receivers. It, it's funny last uh, eagle to have a, a thousand yards uh, was Zach Ertz, our tight end, um, in twenty eighteen. Uh, but you are correct, uh, last uh, receiver was Jeremy Macklin in twenty fourteen with thirteen uh, or one thousand three hundred eighteen yards. Uh, Deshaun Jackson did it in thirteen with. Uh, 1,332 yards Um, so it's been a while since we've had a thousand yard wide receiver Um, you know on a uh, down year so far even though we are in the running for the NFC East I I think uh, that could be a win for us Um, that I saw this week that I loved Chris was the last Uh, Eagles wide receiver to have a touchdown in their first three starts as a Philadelphia Eagle, Terrell Owens. Uh, So I don't know if uh, we can put Fulgham on a uh, Hall of Fame level yet, but uh, you got to love his production so far. Um, I know you guys talked about his story uh, coming out of Old Dominion last week. Uh, Just such a great story. Um, and it just great production. You touched on the numbers, 10 targets for six catches, 75 yards. So, I mean, 10 targets. Uh, Wentz has confidence in this guy. He's going to keep going to him, you know, uh, and one of those targets was that Hail Mary throw, which he almost comes down with. Right. Uh, so, you know, uh, he has all the faith in this guy, and that, that's just going to uh, build on a wide receiver, uh, by receivers confidence you know he's uh, he's an underdog he wasn't drafted he doesn't have the pressure of a Jalen Reger who was a first round draft pick um, or a Nelson Aguilar who heard it from the fans um, a lot who was under uh, you know media pressure and uh, the microscope here and had to leave town because of it Um, and uh, the Eagles fans are gravitating towards him. So he's got the city at his back, and, you know, I think he's feeding off that as well. Uh, So more to come from this uh, exciting uh, young
0: player. Yeah, one of the few bright spots uh, for the Eagles, and really a player who stood out. And to me, and I said this on the last podcast, Travis Fulgham, it's known to us that he's the weapon that, that Carson Wentz has right now. It's known to the defenses that he's the weapon Carson Wentz has right now. And I say weapon as in the only one, uh, at least from a wide receiving standpoint. And he's still winning. He's still catching the ball. He's still catching touchdowns. And I mentioned this in the last podcast, but to me, that's sort of the most compelling thing. And when people say, oh, it's one week, we'll see next week, that's what they're talking about, that it's going to be on tape, the defenses are going to see it, and they'll game plan for it. But I have to say, the guy has shown up and played, I don't think he may... Shoot, he may never have another game again where he goes 10 catches for 152 yards like he did against the Steelers, but this is really compelling, Uh, not just from a storyline point of view, but the Eagles really haven't had a receiver stand out like this since Terrell Owens. I mean, Alshon Jeffrey stood out sort of in his own way the first year we got him. Um, Deshaun Jackson, maybe in the one game that we've seen him in his reunion with the Eagles, but it's been a long time since we had a receiver like this, maybe since Jeremy Macklin or the tandem of Macklin and Jackson playing together. So it's an absolute bright spot in kind of a, <laughs> a down year of 2020.
1: Yeah. Uh, unlike some of our other receivers, he goes up and he
0: fights for that ball. Um, something we, his body.
1: Yep. Uh, you know, something we saw Ertz do uh, the past few years, uh, you know, really uh, fight for a contested ball. Um, that that's what uh, Travis is doing uh, when he goes to make uh, the catch. And as we're going to see throughout the season, as teams adjust to his success, uh, he's going to have more contested uh, attempts, And it, it should be interesting to see how he progresses. But early on here, he really fights for those balls and he locks into them. So I, I hope he continues to do so.
0: Wentz looks good on the ball to him, so I'm good. Um, Let's move on to talk about who else is supposed to be helping Carson, but not so much on the field, but play calling, and that's Doug. Um, And I think confidence in Doug has waxed and waned this year. He's had a lot of head-scratching moments Uh, in this game. The big one for me is the last play of the game where the Eagles need to go for a two-point conversion uh, just to tie the game at 30. And um, I'm not sure why Doug doesn't call a timeout there just to sort of reset – try to figure something out. Carson had just scrambled for a touchdown that he barely crossed the goal line with. Um, and then they're running him again on sort of a, a read option where he's either giving it to Boston Scott, who if he doesn't take the ball is supposed to block. I mean, it just looks like a messy play for it being a, a play in the game that could have uh, tied. And then with that kind of momentum, you know, the, the Ravens, the feeling that I got was they were like, we got this, we're out of here and slowly but surely the Eagles started to climb back, and had they got that, I really think the Eagles might have won that game, and that's all woulda, coulda, shoulda, but I think that Doug is in a powerful position there to say, you know what, let's really draw something up because we need this two-point conversion. This is a critical play in this game, and instead, it seemed like they rushed it, and they just ran the same old thing and said, "We'll just make Carson do it, and I think just a second's thought there uh, would have gone a long way, and I have had a lot of sort of crises of faith with Doug this year that I haven't had since he's been here. A lot of it, I'd say, well, he's got to get good players and he's got to get this and he's got to get that. But this year we're seeing just a real lack of what we used to see. And it might be that maybe he doesn't have the same faith because he doesn't have the same talent on his roster. But Maddie, what's your sort of trust level with Doug uh, right now?
1: Yeah. uh, A little shaky, Chris. Um, You know, we, uh, we had four, two point conversion attempts uh, on those four attempts uh, we had two passing plays, two running plays, the two passing plays were successful. The two running plays were not successful. Um, so we had run three two point conversions uh, prior to the, the last one that, you know, cost us the game, you could say, or cost us it up, maybe send us into overtime. Um, and the, you know, uh, The two ones that worked were passing. Uh, I agree. It did feel rushed. And I I don't understand why we would try to rush a good Ravens defense. They obviously sniffed it out right away. And also, Miles Sanders isn't in the game. And we know that Boston Scott has not been effective this year. So, it, it was doomed from the start. And, you
0: know, Doug just ran with it. Um, I mean we I don't brought, know we brought up JJ earlier who not only you know uh well we brought him up while we were talking before the podcast but you know JJ recovers this sort of touchdown uh, that was a fumble by Miles Sanders after a really great run but just after that or maybe it was later in the game he scored on a two-point conversion a really nice play where Carson just sort of throws this fade to the back corner and JJ just runs under it and catches the ball run that Doug you know like They're they're not looking for that kind of a thing. They were waiting for Carson to try to make that play. It was so apparent. I think uh, Judon was the player who made the tackle, and you could see the whole time. He's only thinking about getting Wentz. Um, It it was upsetting. The other thing is that, and this may be a a kind of a segue, but, you know, putting Jalen Hurts on the field and having him throw the ball all the way across laterally uh, to Carson Wentz, to then have him throw it a, you know, a little bit upfield to Boston Scott or whoever it wound up being for a total of three yards seems like kind of a waste of the talent that's on the field. I mean, they were able to generate a little bit of a push with Jalen Hurts, I thought. They definitely took Baltimore by surprise when he came on the field. He was the source of their first, first down of the entire game in the second quarter. So I think Hurts did bring some juice when he was on the field. But that play in particular, I'm just thinking, Doug, what are you thinking? That's completely, in effect, a waste of a play.
1: Yeah, uh, Chris, uh, I know we're going to transition into Hurts soon, but as far as the play calling goes, we've seen um, Hurts get more involved in the offense, but it's been like one additional play per game. I would think that it'd be closer to maybe eight to ten plays that he'd be involved in. And you know, I think three of those, three of those, three to four of those plays would mainly be him as a decoy. But uh, those other six plays should be him really involved, whether that's him running the ball, passing the ball. Um, you know, not a lot has worked, especially early in the first half. Get him involved early, so it keeps the defense on their toes. And we just haven't seen the seen that out of Doug. We went up, we got this guy, we. Uh, Got him early on in the second rounds, and there was a lot of talent there, as we've discussed on uh, previous podcasts. And so, it, if we're going to invest in this guy, he should at least be seeing the field eight to ten plays at this point in the season. Um, and and Doug, Doug is not using him really at all. Uh, he uses him as a decoy, which you know uh, defenses really aren't biting on quite as yet because they they've only seen him two to three times per game. Um, you know, he, he had that nice run. Um, the, the one play early on, I think it may have been his first play and uh, props to Wentz. Wentz was lined up as a wide receiver, had a great block up field. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but our arms extended, but uh, he, he got locked in on the D back and uh, you know, he stayed locked in on him. So props to Wentz, but uh, you know, I, I just think that uh, Doug needs to uh, be more diverse, and it's really apparent, especially going up against the Ravens, uh, it's amazing to see how expansive their offensive playbook is with a mobile quarterback in Lamar Jackson. Yes, we don't have a Lamar Jackson. Uh, We don't have – a mobile quarterback, uh, but we definitely have a quarterback with a better arm that can uh, run in space. And it, Doug isn't utilizing that. And yeah, we we do have a model, mobile quarterback in Hertz, and we have a quarterback that can scamper in Wentz and can throw the ball downfield in Wentz. So a combination of the two, you know, you have a Lamar Jackson. <laughs> um, so, say you want to see
0: from Jalen Hurts in the game plan.
1: I, at this point in the season, at uh, what are we? One four. five and one, 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 four. one four, one four and one. Yes, um, I, I I think we need to add more to the offensive arsenal, um, especially with a beat up offensive line. Uh, to we're we're not a we're not a pocket passing team it looks like Um, and we we need to get out of the pocket sometimes and you know switch it up Um, and the Ravens are able to do that we are not but I think we could if Doug Peterson would diversify the offensive play calling but he just sticks to his bread and butter and it's not working for us, Chris.
0: Well, and I think we'll preview the game upcoming against the Giants, but what's going to be interesting is seeing whether or not he is a bigger part of the game plan this week when the Eagles are going to be down Miles Sanders uh, and will need as much offensive firepower as possible. This is your second round pick in Jalen Hurts. Like it or not, it's our reality. We have to accept it. He was the second round pick in the 2020 draft. Um, They took a quarterback and he's a mobile quarterback and he also throws the ball pretty well he comes in for one play against the Steelers now I'm sure it's just sort of a snap it and one read just get the ball to Richard Rodgers but put it really on a rope right to him has a really nice fluid kind of silky motion Um, I say let him throw the ball every once in a while too I don't think it could hurt and and Matt mentioned him being a decoy I think they're going to need to use him as a, a decoy in order to sort of sell it but the thing is from a Doug perspective bouncing back to Doug, you've got to be choosy when you're you're using Hertz. And I think in a situation where you're down Miles Sanders and, you know, the run game isn't a real threat, it's obvious that Hertz is going to be sort of the go-to guy. So to me, not just in this upcoming game, which we'll preview against the Giants, where I'm sure he will be utilized, but just because of a shortage of personnel, that when Miles Sanders is back on the field, when you have a lot of these other weapons, use Hertz then, because everybody thinks the ball's going somewhere else. So if he comes on the field, defenses are confused. And we've seen over the last two weeks, two of the best defenses in the league, both the Steelers and the Ravens, when Hurts comes on the field, they look confused. They look confused. And these are two teams that pride themselves on consistent play uh, from the defensive side for years. Matt?
1: Yeah, just uh, still on uh, Peterson here uh, and going back to the two-point conversions. The other failed, uh, he put Hurts back there. And I'm sorry, I don't think that's the time to put the rookie back there. I don't think that's a situation. He should have been in the game. Um, it looks like a run option, and it was a failed run option. The defense was immediately on not only uh, Hurts, but the running back. And it was swallowed up even before the play
0: was able to be developed. Chris? Yeah, so yeah. part of me thinks – sorry about that. A little feedback there. Part of me <laughs> that the uh, – It's not that it's a bad concept. It's that it, it, to me, should have been displaced to the end of the game. What I thought at the end of the game with Miles Sanders Hurt is that they would put Jalen Hurts on the field with Carson Wentz to create some confusion on that, uh, trying to make that two-point conversion happen and make the defense think about where the ball was going. Even if Carson Wentz was still going to run a keeper, if you have Hurts on the field and he runs a really, you know, genuine-looking fake, you know, maybe the defense bites and Carson just stands up walking into the end zone. So I'm not sure it's a bad idea, Matt. I, I wonder if maybe that two-point conversion should have been tried, you know, a little bit later in the game. Um, maybe, maybe not even giving the ball off to Hertz, but again, having him on the field as a decoy, just creating a little bit of extra thought for the defense of like, what are they actually going to do here? Um, and that's part of Doug sort of not having his finger on the pulse. It's not that he has bad ideas. Clearly he's got some good ideas, but it's the timing part of it that really makes us say, this guy's got a really good sense of what to call. He's a great play caller. What we're talking about is not just the plays themselves, but the context, the timing. So that's, that's a huge aspect of it for me. And, and I think that's a really good example that I actually didn't even think about before, that failed uh, conversion with Hertz earlier, that at the end of the game, that's kind of what I was thinking, is where's Hertz? Why wouldn't they want, you know, two-point conversions are naturally like they kind of call for that sort of thing, confuse the defense, make them look, you know, twice,
1: Great point, Chris. Yeah, I
0: I fully agree with that. Right on. So let's talk a little bit more about some things that happened in this Eagles-Ravens game, and then we're going to sort of make our way into this preview of the Eagles uh, hosting the New York Giants on Thursday night football. But two really crucial plays in this game, one that we highlighted from John Hightower. Now, one thing I want to say about him, um, you know, in his first drop, which would have been a huge momentum swing for the Eagles early in the game after two really bad plays to start off, uh, In their own end and I believe a penalty mixed in there somewhere uh, that they throw he throws Carson throws excuse me down the sideline to John Hightower and he it's right on his hands and he drops it and then later in the game as Matt mentioned they throw it to him again different kind of play but for a 50-yard completion and what I really like to see is that they went back to Hightower and he made a play And the other thing I like to see is that the developing young talent. We have to remember Hightower is a fifth round pick. If it hits you in the hands, you have to catch it. Whether you're a fifth round pick, seventh round pick, you you should be hungry and you should be looking to make every play possible. But the other thing I'm seeing with Hightower, Matt, is he gets open. And I think you can teach someone to catch the ball. Maybe I'm wrong from, you know, the Nelson Aguilar days and all that kind of stuff, but to me, he's got the speed. He needs to fill out a little bit. I think probably in his body, he's a little lanky, Um, but I I'm seeing him have an opportunity that he probably never would have gotten if not for injuries. And I think there's something there. I don't think that he'll ever be uh, maybe one of those greats, but I, I think he could be a player that develops nicely because getting open is a big part of just working those releases as a receiver is a huge part of playing in the NFL. So I have to hope that, you know, them going back to him, him catching the ball, uh, that that restores his confidence. You know, it's not like a dumb and dumber. You totally redeemed yourself. Not one of those situations. Uh, because truthfully, if, if he catches that ball in the first quarter, there's a good chance that the Eagles win this game if they can go up early.
1: Yeah. Um, I, we, we, <laughs> we want to stay positive here, but I, I do need to bring up some, some facts um, going back to the Steelers game, Hightower saw forty-four snaps, uh, five targets, two catches, eighteen yards. Um, in the Ravens game, Hightower played thirty-four snaps, one catch, four targets, 50 yards, um, and had that big drop. So yes, uh, we're not expecting regular numbers out of a fifth-round pick, uh, but they and they are relying hit on him a lot due to injury Uh, so he is getting on the field but he just doesn't seem to have that once connection yet Um, and I don't know if it's because he's a late bloomer Um, I do see him getting open and I haven't studied film enough to see hey maybe he's a great uh, run blocker on the outside for Miles Sanders and that's why we've seen some of the success that Miles Sanders has had uh, but when it comes to uh, catching the ball, he has had some targets, and uh, the numbers don't lie. Yes, i just give you a small sample size, but uh,
0: it, it wasn't a good sample size. So, well, that's to- awesome. go ahead. That's a game-changing play. I think, uh, realistically, you know, that, uh, that catch down the sideline versus the Ravens, the catch in the back of the end zone versus the Steelers. These are pivotal plays where the Eagles can seize the momentum of the game. And they're, they're relying on a fifth-round pick to make a big play. And that's kind of, uh, I think, again, a, a sort of circumstance by injury. Um, but he's having some opportunities. And what I'd really love to see from Hightower coming up is him score a touchdown, is him make a big play and, and score, um, and I think maybe build some of that confidence. He's going to need an offseason. To me, uh, I like what I see in terms of his speed when you watch replays. Uh, what I really like seeing is how he just shakes people. He really does just shake people off the line. Marcus Peters is a good player, and he beat him. He just clearly beat him. And this is a fifth-round pick from Boise State, um, just running basically a little stutter move and then just running past him. So that's some of the tough stuff to do. Um, I have to hope that in the coming weeks, he's able to make a play or two and then use next year's offseason, which hopefully like many things, hopefully will be a little bit more normal, a little bit more regular and, and he can develop and fill out. Cause he looks a little scared to me. He looks like when a situation comes up, he's scared of being hit. And I don't know, maybe at that level playing at Boise state, uh, that he was able to just run past a lot of people and didn't take a lot of hits, but um I can see it. I can see it when he's running routes that he's a little bit shook about getting hit. The other big crucial drop in the game comes from Miles Sanders. To me, this is a little bit, it begins with a miscommunication that the ball is going to go over the shoulder closest to the pylon versus uh, to the inside shoulder. And he looks over one shoulder, looks over the other shoulder, and is not able to come down with the ball. Probably lost it in the sun on what was uh, kind of a bright sunny day. Uh, But at the same time, he's got to make that play. It hit him in the hands. That's another pivotal play in this game. And another example of you know, Wentz throws the bright ball and throws it to the right player at the right time, throws it right to him, and the guy doesn't make a play. So that's not something we're used to seeing from Sanders, but I thought that was pretty critical. That was one of those plays that I think it's such a highlight. Also, if he's able to turn over both shoulders, fall backward, make the catch, it's just a big momentum swing in the game. Uh, and it really took the air out of everything. And you could see Carson kind of jump up and down and do one of these. I can't believe we didn't get that. Um, you could just tell it sort of stung.
1: Definitely. Uh, definitely stung. Um, you know, I, <laughs> I really hate to uh, be down on uh, Miles. I, I wish he had that. Um, and he was beating himself up too. Uh, that hurt him as much as it hurt the fans. Uh, he wanted that uh, catch. Um, and I, it, it definitely ate at him. But, you know, I think he came back and he fought and he had that long run uh, that led to the touchdown. Um, that J.J. scooped up and thought that he was the man in the uh, end zone and was celebrating as uh, Sanders laid in pain and agony, uh, which which did not make me uh, too happy there, Chris. And uh, just uh, jumping back to Hightower, um, you know, uh, the guy has eight receivers. Receptions for 107 yards um and our our boy jj has 11 recep 11 career receptions for 206 yards and a bogus touchdown so you know uh hightower he, he's uh he's doing a lot more than uh jj's done since uh 2019 um so you and know more power to hightower than uh this uh, sham of a player, J.J., um, he just – he really got under my skin with that celebration when the ball just kind of rolled into his hands into the end zone and he's acting like he just scored a 50-yard touchdown.
0: Yeah, he should walk he's... his head down back to the referee and just hand him the ball. That, that, Correct. That's the Absolutely sort of move there. And I think, you know, he's – Hightower, that is, has been put in a a big spot as a fifth-round pick being expected to make these plays. Um, And he has made some of them. You know, he made that 50-yard catch down the sideline after the drop early in the game. He makes the fourth and four catch out in San Francisco, which was a crucial play and a trust play, play, in my opinion, from Wentz. Um, So Hightower is getting some time. We have to hope we see some more development there. So we touched on Miles Sanders, and and let's say that he left the game uh, with some sort of a knee injury that will have him sidelined probably for at least uh, this week against the Giants. I believe John Clark said he is out for this upcoming game against the Giants, which we'll get to in a moment. Um, But the other injury was Zach Ertz, who seemed to sort of hobble off the field at one point, but I'm not sure that there was, uh, and I haven't seen the injury report, if there was a a specific, it might have been in the ankle monster back at it again, as Matt mentioned earlier. Is it? Was it the ankle? Uh, I'm for Ertz. Yeah. Uh,
1: let me let me do some research, but yeah, it, we may be talking uh, ankle monster again.
0: And and it was, I believe, the report from John Clark that it was going to be three or four weeks for Ertz, and that with Sanders they expected him to miss a game or two. But the quote that John Clark said he got from his Eagle source was that they dodged a bullet. So along the line Sanders really injured his knee you have to figure it's a it's an ACL it's an MCL it's something like that where maybe it's a sprain versus it being uh, something more serious but certainly not only uh, the Eagles dodge a bullet, but us as fans thinking about the way the run game has gone and we'll touch on that coming up um, that there's not a lot of hope with anybody that's behind Sanders.
1: Chris, yes, that's uh, Ertz three to four weeks with the ankle. So ankle monster monster has not been good. Um, Now, it looked like a contact injury, but just a side note, um, the uh, uh, Players Association has requested that um, all uh, NFL fields move to grass instead of turf. Uh, There has been a lot of injuries this year uh, due to turf. One of the reasons why is that there isn't a standard turf around the lake. Each turf field is different, uh, so they're they're playing on a different uh, surface every week unless it is real grass. Uh, there's few fields that are real grass. Uh, Eagles are a real grass field, um, so uh, more to come on that. But uh, we'll keep moving on
0: here. Yeah, well, it's an interesting. The last thing I'll touch on from the Ravens game is uh, from the Eagles-Ravens game is, is the fact that we saw a little bit of both Davion Taylor at linebacker as well as Sean Bradley at linebacker. Um, but to me, Alex Singleton, I believe it's Alex is his first name, really stood out, made a lot of big plays, um, a lot of effort kind of plays. He's, to my opinion, clearly their best uh, linebacker definitely their most experienced and most skilled. Um, But it's really nice to see Jim mixing in Sean Bradley and Davion Taylor, who I know had a penalty, but I believe also made a couple big tackles. And and his speed flashes uh, when you watch him on screen. So to me, I think Jim is opening himself up a little bit to playing some of these younger guys. And the linebacker position has been an ongoing topic for our podcast. Um, And I think being able to see those guys step in and play makes a big difference. I mean, Nate Gary clearly is not an NFL linebacker. geriatric. Geriatric. That's right. From our last podcast, Matt dubbed him uh, Nathan Geriatric and, and certainly did not have his prune juice uh, before this game this past week <laughs> or, or maybe had a bad week at bingo. But I mean, realistically, um, does not belong on a, on a field playing defensive steps. If anything, is probably more of a special teams linebacker uh, who was kind of sold the Eagles fans as a as a Mike. Uh, which is kind of ridiculous. Um, but it's nice to see Jim sort of opening the playbook up a little bit, and I'd like to see a little more from the linebackers in the weeks to come. Maddie.
1: Yeah, it's great to have that rotation in there, get some fresh legs on the field. Bradley had 25 snaps. Taylor had seven snaps. Uh, each recorded a tackle. Yeah, not not a lot of production, but I did see them uh, step up, some fill some gaps. Uh, they can move vert- uh horizontally in coverage uh, still a deep slants across the middle of the field are uh, killing us kind of where uh, that gap in between the linebackers and D backs. when we're in the zone and I, I think that's because the linebackers aren't moving uh, as well vertically. Um, and then you brought up uh, Alex Singleton. Yeah. I, I think he's been a, a decent addition uh, to the defense Um, Just one play that uh, killed me was uh, that I believe was the first touchdown where Lamar Jackson scrambles out to the right um, and Brandon Graham is hot on his trail Um, and he, uh, he breaks and Brandon Graham gets his ankles broken. Like he's on uh, the basketball court and just so uh, you brought up Singleton, which is why I go back to this play. Uh, Brandon Graham has to know that Singleton's right behind him and has contain on Lamar Jackson. And the angle that uh, Graham took was more of a contain angle instead of going right after the quarterback. I think Brandon Graham, if he just, you know, uh, zeroed in on Lamar Jackson, either forces him out of bounds Or gets the sack there, and he has Singleton backing him up because Singleton was moving right with Lamar Jackson. Um, And, unfortunately, uh, Graham gets his ankles broken. Singleton comes up, gets in Lamar's face. But Lamar, being the pro that he is, finds the open receiver, and it's an easy touchdown.
0: Yeah. I think think the thing there, too, might speak to, you know, communication stuff, that if Singleton, you know, had – had a little bit more, uh, obviously he's been on the team, but maybe had communicated a little bit more with BG that they could kind of work together on that play where basically Lamar is playing like kind of backyard football, um, and just waiting for a receiver to come open. And, um, it's one of those classic, I thought you had him. I thought you had them kind of moments. Um, so just one last, uh, two last, I guess, topics to touch on before we transition into talking about Eagles giants on Thursday night football. Um, The NFL trade deadline is approaching on November the 3rd. Um, And there have been a few things that have been kicked around, one in print, uh, written by Bill Barnwell of ESPN. And he proposed a trade involving the Eagles and the Arizona Cardinals, whereby the Eagles would give up a sixth round pick and Zach Ertz to the Cardinals for their linebacker, Hassan Reddick, a Temple grad. Uh, or went to Temple, I don't know if he graduated, Um, and a third. So um, this is just kind of an interesting trade. It's one of the, uh, I'll say more detailed trades that I've seen and a trade that based on needs, based on what's going on sort of with Ertz's contract, uh, makes sense. Clearly Barnwell is hearing something about this um, and and Reddick having ties to Philadelphia. Um, I believe he's a New Jersey, South Jersey native. So obviously local to the area. I'll start here. I, I I make this trade, and I think the reason is because I've always liked Hassan Reddick. He went right before Derek Barnett uh, in the uh, draft in 2017. So uh, I liked Hassan Reddick then. I thought that there was a chance the Eagles might take him then, but they had Jordan Hicks, who wound up, of course, getting hurt. Um, I liked the player, but I really liked the idea of getting a third and. It's hard to say, and I don't mean to speak sacrilege because I do appreciate and respect everything that Ertz did for the Eagles and, and certainly throughout the 2017 season and has been a reliable target. Um, It was almost automatic on first downs. It felt like for the longest time, but something is up and whether it's the contract or what, it just might be time. And I think a good GM and we haven't seen how he make many good GM moves, but a good GM can kind of sense when it's time. So that's my take. Uh, If Bill Barnwell is proposing this um, I'll, I'll give up as the Eagles. If I'm Howie Roseman, a sixth and Zach it's for Hassan Reddick as a linebacker and a third round pick in uh, next year's draft, the 2021 Uh, NFL draft. So Matt, what are your thoughts on this? And then we'll touch on one potential uh, other trade scenario.
1: Uh, Chris, I, I don't know if I'm ready to give up on Ertz um, that soon, Um, you know, and and I, I know I I shouldn't rely on one season, but for him to have that 116 reception season, um, I, I mean, when the guy's on, the guy is on. And yes, that is just one season, but he is a three-time Pro Bowler between uh, 2017 and 2019. And it just seems like the guy is having a down season and isn't connecting, uh, just isn't on a uh, page with Carson Wentz. You bring up the uh, contract and I, I don't know, that just, that just doesn't seem like his MO just not to play because of a contract. Uh, Just, you know, seeing him out in the public, all he does, his charitable works, you know, it it seems like it's petty, but but yeah, these guys are putting their lives and bodies on the line, you know, Um, so maybe uh, the contract has affected him, uh, but his production, you know, over the first few years of uh, his career has been just crazy, you know, he he had 116 catches for 1,163 yards uh, in 2018 and then comes back with 88 catches for 916 yards in 2019 um, and you know it, he, he's just had he's been one of the top five tight ends in the league as far as a, a catching tight end since 2015 uh, and I, I just don't know if the value is there in Hassan Reddick. Uh, Hassan is uh, 6'1", 235. Yes, I love bringing uh, homegrown talent back home. Um, you're right, he did grow up in New Jersey, went to Temple, um, all well and good, and you know uh, there could be some talent there in the third round. I just... I, I can't get rid of Arts right now. Um, I know we have talent in Dallas Goddard, but I, I can't make the trade.
0: All right. And I appreciate that. I think it's worth also saying that Goddard struggled with some injuries. And obviously that's the situation we're in right now. So it makes it very difficult to think about trading Zach Ertz right now because there are so few targets. And obviously right now he's also potentially injured, uh, at least for a few weeks. So he's not exactly tradable. Uh, but I thought it was an interesting scenario. And I think uh, if the Eagles can come by a linebacker, let me ask you this, Matt, do you like Reddick as a player?
1: Um, yeah, so I'm looking at his stats here and um
0: something like eleven or twelve sacks. uh, I'm sorry. Something like eleven or twelve sacks in his career, something like that.
1: Yeah, it it seems like he's a a serviceable player. Um, you know, I'm not sure maybe the um maybe the Cardinal system isn't the right system for him because as a uh first round uh pick 13th overall in 2017 i thought his numbers would be a little bit better um but uh maybe in a Jim Swartz system this guy could take off so definitely would have to do uh some more research on the guy yeah Um, yeah, you're right. 11 and a half sacks, three for force fumbles, um, a total of 207 uh, tackles. Um, so, you know, he he's uh, – now it, it looks like he's having a, a slow start, only 15 tackles on the year, uh, but four sacks on the year, which, which is pretty good. So he, he's not a uh, sack machine, but um, – and right now, yeah. He's serviceable at linebacker, but I don't know. I, I would rather sacrifice a lower pick and get more value at the linebacker position that than what Hassan Reddick is showing on
0: paper. Hmm. Okay. So I think it's an interesting scenario. And we'll sort of revisit the idea uh, approaching the trade deadline of some other thoughts that the Eagles might have. Obviously, Bill Barnwell writes this, knowing that Zach Hertz is in a contract situation, probably Barnwell also having some connections with both teams, as well as having an awareness that the Eagles have a a serious need at linebacker and probably have the last ranked, I would think, linebacking core in the league. Um, But I'll move on to just one other that's sort of being kicked around on uh, Philadelphia Sports Talk Radio, and that is uh, the likelihood that the Eagles might look to bring in a running back in – Uh, prior to the trade deadline. And one of the names that has been talked about uh, is uh, a player that it was thought at one point uh, during the Chip Kelly era that would be brought in and sort of uh, skipped Philadelphia to go to Indianapolis, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Um, So, uh, and that's Frank Gore. And I think uh, the Eagles are in a situation right now where they absolutely need a running back uh, to back up Miles Sanders, who will at least miss, as I mentioned earlier, this upcoming game against the Giants. But um, Gore comes with a heavy pedigree. He is probably a borderline Hall of Famer, if not a definite Hall of Famer. Um, in terms of his production, he's played for a number of teams. Um, he, he's also an, a very strong pass blocker. He's a high-character guy. Um, he's been around a long time. I'm sure he's a guy who would get along with Deuce. Um I'm just not sure what it would cost. I'm not willing to give up a whole lot uh, to get Frank Gore in from the jets where he's clearly unhappy. And, um, you know, it seems like there's sort of a fire sale going on uh, over at the jets with Le'Veon Bell leaving and and probably many more to come. So I don't know what your thoughts are there, Matt, if you'd be open to it, um, what you think maybe his value might be. Uh, I think he could be valuable to this team. I think they could use a bruiser who could beat up on defenses late in games.
1: Chris, I love it. (laughs) I want Frank Gore in an Eagles jersey. I wanted him back during the Chip Kelly era. And from what I had read, because I followed the story closely, um, he was all in on the Eagles, um, took uh, one more uh, meeting, flew out, met again with the team, and had a uh, sit down with Chip Kelly again. And something went wrong in that meeting. Uh, Chip rubbed him the wrong way, and the next day, he goes and signs with the uh, with the Colts. Uh, yes, the the guy is uh, 37 years old, uh, but he also uh, <laughs> he also carried uh, 21 times against uh, the San Francisco 49ers this year uh, for 63 yards. Uh, so the guy is still going strong. Um, He's still catching passes. Uh, yes, he's not in every down back. But uh, between uh, Boston Scott and our other buddy who's back there with him. Um, Corey Clement. Uh, Corey Clement, who i he's a ghost right now, Chris. I don't know where Corey Clement is. A- uh, um, and Miles Sanders going down. Uh, why not? The Jets really don't have bargaining power right now, Chris. Uh, they are uh, 0-6, and they're really just trying to get the first overall pick. Um, I believe they'll probably just aim to bring in the quarterback from Clemson,
0: uh, Trevor Lawrence.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so they they're they're a dumpster fire. You know, I, they're trying to lose, so I don't see us having to give up a lot for a 37-year-old. The last point I'll make here is I think he'll be a player's coach. I do see him getting along with Deuce, so I think that's a great point. But when Miles comes back, I just think he can learn a lot from Frank Gore and as a young player, uh, having that veteran by his side, kind of like what Adrian Peterson is doing with DeAndre Swift out in Detroit. Um, I, I think uh, – that will bring Miles along very
0: nicely. Yeah, and I think uh, potentially like kind of a stabilizing force that the Eagles might need, uh, both as sort of a veteran presence as well as, you know, sort of a stalwart player that that does exactly what he looks like he's going to do and does it really well and gets you the couple yards that you need when you need it. I just see Frank Gore as one of those running backs that late in games defenses are like, oh, here comes this guy again, just not wanting to tackle him. Um, and I think it's a player that the Eagles could use. Um, I'll say that if not Frank Gore – If the Eagles are going to look to bring in a running back, I think it would benefit them to bring in somebody who's got a little bit more size, a little bit more to bring to the table, both in terms of imposing on defense as well as in uh, pass protection. So those are Matt and and I's thoughts on sort of the couple of scenarios that are out there. But as we said, the trade deadline now, just a few weeks away, other scenarios may arise. Howie Roseman is definitely a GM who, who likes to make moves and probably recognizes that he's had a lot of shortcomings as a GM this 2020 season, Matt.
1: Chris, fun fact, Frank Gore's nickname, any guess? Tell me. The the Inconvenient Truth. (laughs) Uh, The guy's been good for a while. Um, You know, we've gone with the uh, QB sneak on short yardage, and, uh, you know, uh, that could lead to injury for Wentz. uh, It's it's effective, but – Um, It is a risky play. So maybe that's where Frank Gore can step in on their short yardage plays.
0: They need it. They need that kind of a presence. They need that kind of a role player, I think, in their offense. Um, I think depending on what the cost is, I'll leave it there. I'm not willing to pay to Frank Gore. But like you said, the Jets aren't in a position to really uh, hold any power negotiating. So... Let's uh, transition into the upcoming game. In just a couple days now, uh, Maddie and I are podcasting on Tuesday evening and the Eagles play Thursday night uh, just around this time. So uh, they they host the New York Giants, who are a uh, one-in-five team with a new coach, Joe Judge, uh, an old familiar face as their offensive coordinator in Jason Garrett, formerly with the Dallas Cowboys. Um, I want to come in saying, uh, you know, Doug, this is – been pointed out a few times at this point with the eagles you know sort of only thursday night game this year uh doug is undefeated on thursday nights uh since taking over as the eagles head coach um this is a winnable game obviously for a lot of reasons but you know the giants have played teams pretty tough this year i did catch a couple of their games the one game against the steelers uh they almost won that game they only you know wound up i think losing by 10 um with a, a garbage time field goal so it, one of those situations where um sort of a down and out team, but with a few weapons here and there, but a team that's also been riddled by a lot of injuries. So we'll crack into it here with uh, talking with talking about, excuse me, the Giants offense versus the Eagles defense. So their offense is uh, headed up by Daniel Jones, uh, who is known to fumble the ball and to turn it over. Uh, to me, Daniel Jones is not a bad quarterback. I just kind of don't believe he's a starting quarterback in the NFL. I think in a few years, he'll kind of uh, take one of those long, hard looks at himself and say, okay, where can I go and be a really serviceable backup? Um, that's just my, to my eyes. Uh, he is an accurate passer, um, but he is a, a quarterback. I think when he's rattled, when he's pressured, uh, really shows his true colors and, and kind of turtles a little bit. So, uh, let's hope we see that on Thursday. Um, the offensive line of the giants is also just God awful. Uh, I believe the, the Bengals that the Eagles played earlier in the year was the, um, uh, worst in the league and the Eagles were able to amass I believe it was eight sacks total against the Bengals and uh I have to hope for the same thing in this game I mean you know it's the Eagles know all too well the challenges of having a shaky offensive line but it really makes <laughs> makes you feel a little bit better about the Eagles situation looking at the Giants um couple other points here, and then we can discuss a bit. But the, the Giants will be without Saquon Barkley, not only for this game, obviously, but uh, I believe he was injured in the second week of the season and lost for the year with an ACL. Was that it?
1: Yes, uh, towards ACL, done for the season.
0: Gotcha. So they did bring in Devontae Freeman, who the Eagles, speaking of running backs, were considering bringing in um, and was advantageous when Saquon went down, went up and signed in New York, but hasn't made too much noise. Um, the player I'm really worried about, And I guess I'll I'll stop here to have a little bit of a discussion because Darius Slayton, it looks like, may not play. Um, Sterling Shepard will be coming off of a a turf toe, I think, or something like that. I see that in your notes, and I I heard that on the radio earlier today. And he's a player who's done damage to the Eagles. But the player I'm more worried about is Evan Ingram, who's a player I've always liked. He's a tight end out of Old Miss who's been really riddled with injuries since he came into the league and hasn't played the Eagles that much, mostly because he's been injured, but I believe he's healthy now. Um, And if he's healthy, I think he's got to look at what all the other tight ends have done against the Eagles and and try to create some pressure uh, in the middle of the field. I I really do think that if they're able to get the ball out quick to Ingram, they can sort of inch their way down the field and and dink and dunk. And and maybe that's what they'll look to do. But uh, do you see Ingram as a threat, Matt?
1: I see uh, any tight end against the Eagles defense as a threat. Um, Yeah, I think I mentioned it earlier. It seems like uh, these uh, slants across the middle have been killing us. Usually a longer slant from a wide receiver, but a quick slant from a tight end have been killing us. And it's just uh, the lack of talent from the – linebackers in the middle there so yes Chris I agree uh, Ingram could have a day on us um, it <clears throat> excuse me it does scare me that we do have um, Shepard coming back um, he has you know uh, given the Eagles troubles in the past um, Slayton's foot injury uh, could slow him down but he is most likely to play so if you had to was, uh,
0: His injury was more serious, Uh, so so he is expected to play on Thursday, but banged up.
1: Yeah, he's banged up, but um, from the preview that I watched, I I believe it was from First Take, uh, he's most likely to go. Um, I I, they didn't give us a percentage on how healthy he will be, but I think uh, we will see Slayton on the field uh, this Thursday. Would
0: be interesting. Um, That's who Darius Slay covers Darius Slay versus Darius Slayton, uh, not just for their namesake, but also because I'm not sure if Darius Slay would, would cover Sterling Shepard who plays out of the slot a lot of the time, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but they also have Golden Tate who also plays out of the slot. So uh, I'm trying to think of what the matchups are, are going to look like there. Um, if Slayton plays with his speed, I would think they would at least start Slay on him just because he did the Eagles some real damage last year. Um, I believe he's a fifth round pick himself. Um, so you know, definitely a player who showed up last year and and made some plays uh, against the Eagles that I can remember. So I wonder if Darius Slay will line up uh, against him, or if or if he'll wind up lining up against Shepard. I would think maybe Shepard because of the size.
1: Yeah, um, it, it, it Schwartz definitely has to uh, get the uh, get the matchups right this week. Um, I. You know, and I I think it comes down to who is healthier. Um, So I I think he'll, uh, you know, we may see him switching back and forth, but I think it will come down to the healthier receiver. Um, So I'm not sure if you you wanted to stay on them, or I I do have some stats that I I wanted to dive into as well, or team stats. Uh, So, Chris, uh, bottom line is, we're going to see two of the uh worst teams so far in the league uh go up against each other but you know this is one of the oldest rival rivalries in the NFL so it always turns out to be a good game uh but just some pro football focused stats uh they have the Eagles as the 27th team the Giants as the 25th team kind of surprised me uh that the Giants were ahead of the Eagles but uh You know, it is what it is. They have their Sabre metrics. Uh, There is – the Eagles have a minus 34-point differential uh, against opponents, and they have scored 141 points, making them 21st overall in the league and have allowed 175 points, making them 25th in the league. Uh, Giants have a negative 51-point differential – Um, have scored 101 points, making them 30th in the league, and are tied for uh, 20th in the league with 152 points allowed. Um, Now, I want to circle back to week one, uh, the Washington game, where uh, Miles Sanders did not start, and our run game was ineffective. We got out to a fast start there, Chris, but as you remember, Washington chipped away and wound up winning that game. Um, can you talk through just how you see uh, our running game
0: uh, playing out this Thursday? Yeah. I think, um, I think maybe we'll go just a bit. I want to stay with the Giants offense versus the Eagles D, but I think that's going to be where we start off when we start talking about the Eagles offense because so- – the- Yep. Let's, I'm sorry. Let's, no let's stick on. Uh... I think uh, the injury to Sanders really puts that uh, into a compromise situation where you have to figure Jalen Hurts is going to be a bigger factor. But sticking with the Giants offense versus the Eagles defense, we talked about Evan Ingram. You know, I, I would hope that they go with some bigger personnel, the Will Parks, uh, Kayvon Wallace, if he's able to play, he looked like he sustained a really bad injury. Uh, in the game versus the Ravens. So they're going to need some bigger bodies, I think, in the middle uh, to sort of clog up the field and uh, make it difficult for Ingram to to make an impact. But uh, if Slayton's going to play and Shepard's going to play, I think that that causes some issues. They're both players that can take a short pass a long way. Um, and I think the Eagles defense is going to be in a position where if they can put Daniel Jones in third and long, second and longs, and he's not able to just throw a quick release slant um, and sort of neutralize the Eagles pass rush that they're going to be able to have maybe even a better day than they did against the Bengals. Matty? Yeah,
1: just building off what I said earlier about Evan Ingram, uh, tight ends have torched the Eagles, and this guy uh, has had some success against the Eagles in the past, but I have him ranked on pro football focus as the 54th best tight end in the league Um, So really hasn't had much production this year, nor has the whole Giants team. Uh, Once again, rivalry game, NFC East game, every player gets up for this game. So we do have to watch him, but hasn't done much early on uh, in
0: the season. Well, and I think the uh, Eagles defensive game plan is going to rest on their defensive line, being able to get home. Um, but you have to figure that, you know, who Darius Slay matches up against is going to be a big factor um, for the backfield, being able to sort of provide the support in the middle of the field to to neutralize what Ingram can do. He's one of their bigger bodied uh, receiving targets. Um, but realistically, I think it's the defensive line that we should focus on. And maybe this will be a good segue. Um, because I know Mike, our fellow podcaster who couldn't join us tonight, um, submitted that Brandon Graham was going to be his player of the game, who, like you said, Matt, had a couple situations last week where he seemed to like misread run plays or sort of over overextend himself and, and uh, kind of get caught up in the wash and those sorts of things that I'm not used to seeing him do as much. Um, he also got a, I believe it was last game, got a really bad penalty, um, which cost the Eagles. So hope to see a bounce back from Brandon, but where do you see, I mean, do you see the defensive line being, uh, the major factor. Do you think you know that the? Uh, do you think that the the defensive tackles, where the Eagles are really deep, that that's where they are going to really shine on Thursday? Uh, where do you see it coming from? Because I think it could be really spread around. Like I mentioned, I think they may uh, surpass their eight sacks versus the Bengals in this game. Chris, I couldn't agree more.
1: Uh, I believe the defensive line will dominate. I thought Malik Jackson had a very good game uh, last week, um, and yeah, uh, Brendan Graham um, had a couple flubs, but I still think he's playing strong. I uh, didn't get to comment uh, on that face mask in the Steelers game, but uh, the television coverage of that was awful. Uh, they went to uh, they went to Brendan Graham. He was beside himself. They went to the Eagles sidelines. Uh, they were beside themselves, and they never replayed the play. I still haven't been able to find it. It seemed like just a ghost face mask, and um, I know you guys commented on it. The refs were off all game long. So yes, it was a crucial face mask. But uh, you know, I think Brandon uh, is a veteran. He's putting plays like that behind him. He's Uh, looking for the next game. Um, I think Cox, you know, I always think highly of him. I think he continues to stuff the middle. uh, And then we have continually seen Sweat just get after the ball. And I'm impressed with what Derek Barnett has been doing in the rotation. Mm -hmm. So I think the defensive line is uh, consistently getting better and is going to have – a field day. And that helps us out a lot, Chris, because that means we're not blitzing linebackers and uh, that leaves more people out in coverage, may create some turnovers in the secondary uh, because all we ne- will need to do is rush uh, our front four, uh, contain the run, which the run not strong. Uh, Daniel D- Jones is a statue back there. he's He can't run out of the pocket. So Uh, Once that pocket breaks down with our uh, D-line rush, uh, yeah, I think uh, eight sacks is obtainable, maybe even more. Chris?
0: Yeah. (laughs) I almost wonder about the potential for uh, the D-tackles to be able to get home the way they sort of have the rest of the year. Another injury we didn't mention was Malik Jackson did uh, leave last game against the Ravens with a quadricep injury. I'm not sure if that's going to keep him out of Thursday's competition. I would think so on a short week. Oh, I missed that. But yeah, and it, it wasn't as publicized because I think Sanders's injury and Ertz's injury really kind of overshadowed. But um, Malik Jackson's quietly had a really nice year. He ninety-seven flashes on the screen all the time when you watch the Eagles' defense, um, even more so than ninety-one, in my opinion. Just you just see him making plays toward the quarterback, mostly because ninety-one is being double teamed. Um, but I'm actually, as a way to segue into defensive player of the game and, uh, and sort of get that from you also, I'm going to go with Javon Hargrave. I think it's high time. I think he's, hard, he's had some good plays here and there. He's started to come on. Um, he's starting to make a little bit uh, more noise uh, on the defensive line. And, and what, you know, Daniel Jones being a second-year quarterback, you know, what quarterbacks struggle with? I've said this before. They've asked all the greats, you know, Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, what pressure they they struggle with the most, and it's pressure up the middle. So we know Fletcher Cox will be double teamed. We, I got to hope that's going to free up Javon Hargrave to make some big plays. So I'm going with him this week, number 93, Javon Hargrave. Mike, as we mentioned, with number 55, BG, Brandon Graham. Maddie, who are you going with this week?
1: Chris, uh, just circling back, you are correct. Uh, Malik Jackson missed the co- uh, will miss this game due to the quadriceps. Um, that must have happened towards the end of the game. Um, did, did you see that injury?
0: I didn't see the play. No, nah.
1: so he's, uh, he's out uh, for this game, which, yes, that's a blow. But, yeah, Hargraves has been stepping up. And to uh, your point, uh, I think that's a good player of the game. Um, you know, uh, we need him to step up, and he has been stepping up. He's been a good rotational player. Uh, I'm going someone in the secondary here. I'm between uh, Rodney McLeod and Darius Slay. I'm going with Darius Slay. um, And it's because of what we talked about on a previous podcast, uh, turnovers leading into uh, points. And I want to see that this game, Chris. So it's – and it's going to happen through our defensive line getting into the face of Daniel Jones – him throwing up an errant pass and Darius Slay coming down with the interception, hopefully getting a pick six or uh, putting our offense into a uh, scoring position.
0: I'd love it. Yes. Uh, um, let's hope that that's uh, you can see. I think. Slay's ball skills are something that we were sold on a lot when he was traded for. Um, And and that's something I've known him for, you know, in in sort of watching him from a distance as a player that can make plays on the ball. Um, So let's hope he does that. And let's hope that Daniel Jones, you know, being sort of news to the league, uh, doesn't maybe respect or understand the clout that Darius Slay has. And and maybe if Slay is moving from covering Slayton to covering Shepard, that maybe he's able to get free and make a play. I like that a lot. Uh, I'd love to see 24 in the end zone. That'd be awesome. Let's do it. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about the Eagles offense versus the Giants defense. So Carson Wentz needs to keep up, needs to maintain that momentum that he's built over the last couple of weeks. Um, I think we're going to continue to see him make plays with those legs, especially in the absence of Miles Sanders, uh, who will miss this game, as we've mentioned. Um, It's going to be imperative that Carson Wentz is, is on it. And I think, This, to circle back to where we started this podcast, this is an example of a game where he can get a fast start. If he's able to connect with a Fulgham or uh, maybe connect downfield with Hightower, that he can get himself a fast start. And we might even be able to see Carson sort of flex in this game a little bit and the Eagles put up some real points. But to me, he needs to kind of start quick. And not be in a position where he's playing under the gun because we've only seen him that way and he's played great, uh, but he has come up short. So in my opinion, if we can see that early from Carson, see him making plays, making connections uh, with his receivers, then we're going to be, we're going to be in a good spot as, as fans and, and hopefully walking into our Friday morning work workday uh, after a win. But the other factor I think we need to talk about is the offensive line. So we're not sure, but we're assuming, uh, based on having heard some things, that Lane Johnson will be returning to the lineup. If he doesn't, uh, we have to wonder whether or not Jack Driscoll uh, is still a victim of the ankle monster uh, or if he's going to be able to play in this game. If not, the depth behind them, uh, which was shown in this game with uh, Brett Toth, uh, who I don't really even know much about and looked a little bit more like a stand up linebacker than he did a, a offensive. <laughs> uh But clearly, the depth is an issue there. We do think Matt Pryor, as we mentioned earlier, coming off the COVID list will be able to play. And hopefully, Jamon Brown has already left the building, packed up his locker, and gone. Uh, tighten your gloves on the way, Jamon. Um, but, you know, Kelsey's been kind of the stalwart. And like we said, on the left side of the line, Nate Herbig, I'm pretty sure I saw in pro football focus, uh, didn't allow a pressure at all against the Ravens. So between him and lotta, there's kind of a good thing developing on the left side. It's just that right side that I'm a little concerned about. And I think that Carson gets a little shaky uh, when he doesn't have some consistency in front of him. So I'm very interested to see what the lineup's going to be. But I'll say just Lane being there makes me feel a whole lot better.
1: Yes, uh, we (laughs) – Chris, we need Lane Johnson. Um, I, you know, I I don't think he will be able to push off that ankle 100%. um, And wouldn't be surprised if, uh, you know, our trainer is shooting up that ankle. He may not uh, fully be able to feel that ankle. But uh, hopefully he he has enough juice to uh, stay in the game as long as possible. Um, you know, it' interesting, uh, you bring up uh, Brett Top. Um, so I'm looking at him now. He was uh, undrafted uh, in 2018, made the Eagles practice squad in 2019, uh, played for the Cardinals last year, and then uh, joins the Eagles this year. Uh, but they, I played uh, college football at Army. Um, And I always love guys coming out of military school that uh, come into the NFL. One of the guys that comes to mind is Alejandro Villanueva, the starting tackle for the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, who was with the Eagles during the Chip Kelly era, um, had uh, a great run, but – because of the depth chart was unfortunately cut gets picked up by the Steelers and has a hell of a career with them so far as a starting tackle.
0: So I I believe Villanueva also converted. I think when he was with the Eagles, he was defensive tackle. And when he went to Pittsburgh, he converted to being an offensive tackle. If I'm not mistaken, I'll have to double check that to be sure, but I'm, I'm almost certain he was a defensive lineman. Uh, When he was with the Eagles and then was converted uh, to being an offensive lineman, maybe just before he left the Eagles, but since he's been with the Steelers, obviously has been a standout. But I agree with you. There's something about those storylines. Brett Toth, um, you know, thinking about. you know, other players that have come through the league with military affiliations, you know, that sort of thing is, is a thing, is a program that's been set up by the league to ensure that at least some of those players are having the opportunity uh, to forgo their sort their service or postpone their service and, uh, and play in the league in the meantime. But I mean, Brett Toth looks a little thin to me to be playing offensive line. And when he stepped in there, I honestly didn't even know who he was. I had to, I had to kind of check my phone a little bit. So the offensive line of the Eagles is definitely a question mark. I think if Lane is in there, we're both feeling a lot better. Let's talk about the offensive weapons that they're going to have. Without Miles Sanders, their running back core is Boston Scott, Corey Clement, and possibly Jason Huntley, a player that they uh, acquired from, I believe it was the Washington football team squad at a New Mexico State. Um, he's an interesting player. He's really fast, really tough, um, watching some of his highlights. Um, I don't think that he'll wind up getting any play this week. I think they'll probably try to run it with Boston Scott and and Corey Clement. But truthfully, we haven't seen a whole lot from either of them. I know Boston Scott last year was a giant killer, had four touchdowns in the game against them in that four-game stretch at the end of the year. But to me, they have to figure something out with the run game. And and they have to figure it out from a running back perspective. Carson Wentz will get his. We'll touch on Jalen Hurts, who will probably get his. um, But they need some sort of a running threat in either Scott Clement or Huntley to, to kind of step up. So uh, to me, that's something that I have a major concern with going into this game, because I think if Miles Sanders were active, he would go off.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's very concerning. Um, You know, Boston Scott starts out uh, the season with nine attempts against Washington. Since then it's been four attempts, three attempts, two attempts, one attempt. Uh, His production has gone down and yes, He had those nine attempts because um, Miles Sanders was out in that first game. And we knew that uh, Miles was going to be our our number one. But
0: uh,
1: last year, there was more running back by committee. And you would think that's – uh, Deuce would still be mixing it up um, or at least getting some fresh feed in there, and we haven't seen that. Uh, so it's a tricky situation to rely on these guys that, yes, have had some success in the past. You bring up the uh, Giants game from last year where uh, Boston came on strong, but um, Chris, re- refresh my did we need to win that game or were we already? Yes. We, we needed to win that game to
0: uh, make playoffs. So it, it was. If I remember, sorry about that. If I remember right. Miles Sanders was also hurt uh, coming into that. Yes. Game. Okay. A very yep. Similar situation to what they were up against last year in that way.
1: Yeah. And I'm looking here. Corey Clement has only played in three games. Once again, the Washington football game, which we needed him to play in. Uh, he only had six rushes for 19 yards. Uh, he saw a little action in Cincinnati and a little, he had uh, two attempts for three yards against San Francisco. Um, has not had a lot of production. And at one time we thought that this guy may be, you know, more, uh, more productive back. Uh, so it's, it should be interesting to see how they rely on these two backs. You have Boston as more of a Darren Sproles type running back. Corey Clement, uh 510, 220. Um, you know, a, a thicker built, more closer to a mile Sanders built. Um, you know, it, it should be interesting to see how Deuce relies on them. Yes, I don't think we see the new guy, Jason Huntley, get a lot of touches. I think we're relying on uh both Scott and Clements, but I think Wentz. You know, we could see uh, forty pass attempts out of Wentz this week, uh, just because uh, there's not a lot of reliability in the backfield.
0: How much of a role? How much of a role do you think uh, Jill? Oh boy, the echo is crazy. Uh, how much of a role yeah. do you think? Jill- um, could play uh, on Thursday in the absence of Miles Sanders with these less than reliable uh, other members of the running back by committee, Boston Scott, Corey Clement. um, Do you you see Hertz having a potentially big game? I see this kind of being a little bit of an opportunity for him.
1: Well, I want to take two sides to this, Chris, if I could. Um, Wentz is coming off playing an undefeated Steelers team that is looking very good, and a 5-1 Ravens team that is looking very good. And each game, he continued to get better and better throughout the games. And he is playing a garbage team in the New York Giants. So if there was a time to get his confidence up, it would be this game. Yeah, I agree. That being said, we have a beat-up line. We don't really have a running option. I'm not sure we have a tight end option, though Richard Rogers has been serviceable. And uh, I think we're going to get to Croon, our buddy Croon, in a a little bit. Um, So personally, as I mentioned earlier, I wouldn't mind seeing Hertz get in, you know, 10 times this game and expanding the offensive playbook just to switch it up and keep them guessing. You know, the best time to try out new plays is against an awful, awful team. And the New York Giants, Chris, are an awful team. Well,
0: it's a little different saying that this year, right? Because hey,
1: Yeah, I mean, we're, we're not much better. And we are both fighting for um, a tie with the Dallas Cowboys for first place in an awful NFC East. Yeah. Uh, so I, I do agree with you that uh, – it may be a little risky to try it this game, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I do want to see more out of Doug Peterson uh, switching things up. And I think our second round pick, Jalen Hurts, getting in there, uh, keeping uh, the Giants defense on their toes would be a good way to do the, do that.
0: Agreed. I think this is a game where uh, it's going to be – imperative that the Eagles can get a lead so they can try some of this out. I'd love to be coasting on a comfortable lead in the second half and have Jalen Hurts get those maybe eight to 10 or even 12 snaps that that we were talking about a little bit earlier and really see if this is a situation where the Eagles are in control what does it look like if they can regularly sprinkle that in um, and come time for some of their other weapons to come back into form that that's going to be a good thing to have sort of mined through games like this. And, and let's hope that winds up being the case, because we do look down our nose at the Giants, who are a bad football team with new coaching. Um, but really, the Eagles are in a rough spot this year. And, and this is really going to be sort of the dumpster matchup uh, of Thursday night games this year. Let's, let's talk about tight ends. You, you mentioned them earlier. I think Richard Rodgers has done a decent job filling in Um, in the absence of uh, Zach Ertz when he's had to, and obviously in the absence of Dallas Goddard since he's been injured. um, I think Rodgers blocks pretty well. He seems to make downfield catches pretty well, especially contested catches. Um, I think he might be a little bit of a dark horse in this game because I think tight ends are still going to be a factor. I think Wentz is going to need to make those quick throws to the perimeter, um, and and Rodgers will be the primary target. And we know a little bit more about Rodgers. He's been in the league in the while for a while. Excuse me. Caught that famous Hill mary from uh, Aaron Rodgers um, when he was in Green Bay. But let's talk a little bit more about Jeremy Croom, a younger player who caught his first touchdown, one target, one reception, one touchdown. Uh, I thought it was hilarious the way that the coverage worked. It. It was like they were panning the field, and then they scanned down uh, to where Kroon was standing in the top left corner of the end zone, all alone. Uh, and just comfortably catches the ball from Wentz and kind of hands it back to the referee. Um, You know a little bit more about Travis Kroom having researched him. Tell us a little more about him.
1: Yeah, so uh, Kroom was uh, um, 24, both more NFL uh, experience with 22 receptions for 259 yards uh, and one touchdown in 15 games played back in 2018. With the Buffalo Bills. In fact, he led uh, the tight ends in receptions that year. Uh, before spending the twenty nineteen season on injury reserve, so actually had a decent uh, twenty eighteen campaign with the Buffalo Bills. Now, remember that was the season before they got uh, Josh Allen, um, and then he got hurt in twenty nineteen. Bills release him. Uh, and then uh, he went on to the practice squad in, in 2020. Bills released them from the uh, practice squad last week, and the Eagles scoop him right up. So, yes, the Eagles were in a position to scoop up a tight end, but obviously they had their eyes on this guy um, because they jumped right on him. Uh, decent size, 6'4", 257 pounds, um, and he is 28 years old, so – he uh, played football at California, um, so he he has experience, um, and uh, you know we'll uh, we'll see what he can do.
0: I I think he's an interesting player. I think there's a chance just because of the deficit of personnel at the tight end position that he could stand and make a play. Also, a player the defenses probably don't know a whole lot about. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if the Eagles are uh, able to make their tight ends a factor in this game, despite not having their two primary tight ends and really uh, being without, you know, what we thought would be probably the best tight end tandem in the league. Um, And this is the first example of a game I can remember where we haven't had uh, either Ertz or Goddard. So that will definitely be a challenge uh, in this game in terms of tight end receiving targets, but let's talk about some wide receiver targets. The Eagles may have Deshaun Jackson. That's still the report up to everything I've seen. Um, even Adam Schefter tweeted that he expects him to play. Um, at this point, I don't, I don't consider anything a sure thing for a guy who's 32 years old and has had some soft tissue issues, uh, this year. Um, hamstring, I believe has been what, what has gotten him down this year. So I'd love it if Deshaun was able to play, but truthfully, even when he's been in this year, it's been, uh, really here and there. Certainly I'd love to see him break out and have a, you know, eight catch for 152 yard game like he did the last time we saw him really play but um, if he's not able to the Eagles are left with Travis Fulgham, Greg Ward, John Hightower, JJ Ortega Whiteside and Quez Watkins so uh, you know realistically Fulgham is the number one Greg Ward is your slot that you can move a little bit but who's pretty reliable catcher of the ball although had a couple of fumbles uh, in this last game versus the Ravens that were kind of frustrating so hold on to the ball G Ward Um, John Hightower we've touched on a lot JJ I think is uh just kind of playing out the the script here I I really I can't believe that JJ will be on this team uh next year but uh as I've said as um, Matt's brother Andrew and I have said many times anytime now JJ anytime you want to show us that you were worth the pick that we uh spent on you uh anytime you want to show off some of that talent just feel free um And lastly, as I mentioned, Quez Watkins, who really hasn't seen much meaningful time this year, but is another speedster that the Eagles drafted in 2020. um, I would have to think that for the Eagles to sort of set the tone in this game, for us to feel really good, that they throw the ball downfield, whether it's to Deshaun Jackson, uh, to John Hightower, or to Quez Watkins. So they're going to need to make a play downfield in order to – really sort of set the tone and hopefully get out to a comfortable lead. Um, I think of all those players, the one we feel best about uh, and knew the least about probably coming into it was Fulgham.
1: And uh, we spent some time on Folgum. I just want to read something that Mike sent us during our viewing of uh, last week's Eagles-Ravens game. Since rejoining the Eagles before last season, Deshaun Jackson, has earned a seven point one seven million dollar signing bonus a two million option bonus one point zero three million in two thousand and nineteen base salary over two million in twenty twenty base salary eight hundred thousand dollars in workout bonuses and a one hundred and fifty thousand in roster bonuses that 's thirteen point three four million with another four million in base salary due the rest of this year, wow. that is over uh, three hundred fifty thousand per week over the next eleven weeks. He has caught nineteen passes. Wow. It just, Chris, it, it's it's ridiculous. And um, I commented in the group chat about this eight hundred thousand dollar in workout bonus don't even know what that means uh what he went he went into the weight room and he benched 185 pounds a couple of times I mean the the guy's not putting up linebacker numbers Uh,
0: I can't think of a a move from a, a personnel standpoint from a GM standpoint I can't think of a move that Eagles fans wanted more that they got And then gotten a little bit of a glimpse of what they used to see from this player in the first game that he played in 2019 versus uh, the Washington football team and went off for two touchdowns and 150 plus yards. And now, between the comments he made over the summer, which are a whole nother topic, between his injuries this year and sort of lack of production and just sort of undefined role in this offense, I think that's the thing that I've been most confused about. The game against the Rams comes to mind where they coming back from the halftime break, they said, oh, well, they're going to target Deshaun a lot. And they did a couple of times at the beginning of the half. And then they kind of went away from him. So uh, if he is going to play, I'd love to see him play that role. And hey, if he wants to go off and have that kind of game that he did, great. Um, my faith level is just not not super high. But what you're talking about with the contract stuff is really damning. And it's really damning toward Howie Roseman, the arrow points back there. So it's up to him, um, you know, Deshaun, if I'm not mistaken, is with Drew Rosenhaus, who's an agent that the Eagles have dealt with a lot. Uh, that seems just so ridiculous, the idea of him saying, like, well, I'm going to work really hard, so give me a little extra. Um, but let's get to some offensive players of the game and then wrap up with some predictions. Um, Matt, who are you going with as your offensive player of the game this week?
1: <laughs> um, God, Chris, I, I, I'm taking a uh, – oh. I'm I'm going out uh, left field here. Um, I I need Jake Elliott to have a good game, man. Wow. Uh, he's uh, he's come up short for me uh, the past two weeks. Um, yes, they've been very long field goals uh, that he has missed. Um, I I need him to uh, to make a a long field goal to. Uh, give me some trust in him i believe he is uh one for four on uh 50 yards and out um, i i need him to make a 50 yarder and if he sees uh, if he gets a chance uh, to have that opportunity uh, i need him to make it or i'm uh, i'm gonna start doubting the guy that i believe made a, um, a 63
0: was it 61 in the Super Bowl.
1: 60, 61 yarder. Uh, and I, I don't want to get to that point.
0: And Mike and I were there and the Eagles struggled for a little while. If you remember with the Cody Parkey's and the Caleb Sturgis's and some of these people. And, and we, as Eagles fans have been really lucky to have long-standing kickers like David Akers. Um, and then eventually, you know, Jake Elliott, we kind of thought was that, that new player. Um, and I think his confidence seems to have kind of shrunk. I mean, Doug puts, you know, the the emphasis on um, tying the game against the Bengals for fear that Elliott won't make a long field goal. And then over the last few weeks, we've sort of seen that play itself out. So let's hope the game doesn't come to that, Maddie, where it's defined by a field goal. But I wouldn't be surprised if the Eagles get up, if, if they're not just kicking field goals to give Jake a little bit of a uh, little bit of a confidence boost. He sorely needs it. I'll make mention that Mike's offensive player of the game is a guy that we sort of Put some doubt on because of his numbers this year and that's boston scott who i mentioned earlier really thrived last year against the giants in the absence of miles sanders so let's hope for both those things let's hope jake has a good night let's hope boston has a good night uh i'm not going to go with either of them i'm going to go with travis Fulgham. i think travis Fulgham is going to have a really great game um i think we might see a multiple touchdown game from him i don't think again he may never get back to 10 catches for 152 plus yards but um To me, I I think he's going to be the guy who sort of stands out. And I know the Giants have uh, Logan Ryan that they traded for in their backfield, but he's more of a slot player. I think Fulgham's going to be able to get on the outside and and make some plays. So let's hope that's the case. Um, But as a sort of dark horse, I mentioned him earlier, I think... I think Richard Rodgers might make some plays in this game uh, mostly because I think it'll be those third down, you know, needing a first down kind of situations or, or who knows, maybe those crossers in the end zone they normally throw to hurts, but I'm going with Travis Fulgham. Matt's going with Jake Elliott and Mike uh, decided to go with Boston Scott. So let's hope all three have a great game. And, and we're looking at a really solid win here. Matt, Thursday night, the Eagles host the New York giants. Um, they are one, four and one. The giants are one and five. The Eagles would be in a situation where they could tie uh, to lead the division as the Cowboys lost to the Arizona Cardinals last night. Um, so what do you see happening in this game?
1: Yeah, uh, you score pre- prediction. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought Mike threw out an interesting stats uh, that uh, the Eagles have, over the first five games, continually scored more points. Now, in the uh, Steelers game, they scored 29 points. In the Ravens game, they scored uh, 28 points. But, you know, they they have consistently uh, moved up. So, I'm thinking that they hit over the over 30 mark here, Chris. Uh, so, I'm going 35-21 uh, Eagles over Giants.
0: Nice. So, not too far off from Mike's prediction. Mike predicted the Eagles uh, – getting the win 34 to 24. Um, I'm going to say that because the Giants have had some games this year where they have played teams much better than them, including the Pittsburgh Steelers who we touched on uh, earlier uh, pretty close that, that there's a chance that this game winds up being a little on the closer side than we think. I do believe the line is, is pretty narrow, if I'm not mistaken, started out at maybe six and a half. And what is it down to like three and a half?
1: I, I headed at minus uh, four Eagles.
0: Okay, um, I'm going to say that this is an Eagles win, um, but I think it is. I think it's a little more decisive. I think the Eagles um, in this game are able to. I think there's something sort of mounting here, even though we've had two losses the last couple of weeks. Carson's kind of coming into his zone. There are injuries going on, but I kind of see this being a game where the Eagles get a lead and they keep the lead. Um, so I, I I'm going to say the Eagles 32 the Giants 13. I like it, Chris. Uh, I like it. I see a bigger gap this week. And I hope to see a little bit of uh, you know, what we've seen in Carson and his confidence mounting. I kind of want to see that in Doug a little bit. I want to see him get a lead and, and start to get a little bit creative. Um, and I think he'll need to do that with the sort of lack of personnel that injuries have left the Eagles with. So all three of us uh, met. Myself, Mike. I think safely we can probably say Andrew also uh, see an Eagles win, or at least hope for an Eagles win this week. We're all predicting W's, um, so we'll we'll uh, kind of leave it at that. Matt, any closing thoughts? Just
1: one stat, Matt. Correction: uh, Jason Kroom attended Tennessee, not California. Gotcha.
0: Okay. Yeah, and I know um, a, a couple of podcasts I listen to these on, but Greg Cosell, who's a you know big name at ESPN and NFL films and things like that. He really likes uh, this guy, Jason Krum. And I think, again, if the Eagles are able to kind of develop a guy who could be there reliably. So if this situation should arise again, if Zach Hertz is still around, if Dallas Goddard is here and they're both injured, that there's another option there that Wentz has a relationship with. So uh, let's hope that he can, you know, maybe make a player too. And I think, everybody is going to be pressed into action because of what's going on with uh, the Eagles injuries, which could be probably its own podcast uh, in the future at some point. But uh, with that, we all predict a win and we'll hope for that when we return next week uh, for another episode, looking forward to a Sunday night football game, if I'm not mistaken, against the Dallas Cowboys. So with that, Matt, good job tonight, man. Go, birds. Go birds.